Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. Amen. April 6, 2015, in the city of Franklin, Tennessee, a long way from the ocean, a young lady by the name of Tony Elliott decided to eat dinner at Puckett's Boathouse. When she, when she arrived, she got quite a surprise that night when she, when she had her meal, her meal set down in front of her. She had chosen that night from the menu an entree of oysters. The server that waited on her that night's name was Eric. And Eric said that, that while Terry was eating her oysters, she bit down on something and she... She quickly knew what it was, and it was a pearl, so she, she quickly um, began to look closely at what she was eating. And um, she pulled that pearl from her mouth, and, and then I pulled another pearl from her mouth, and then another. And then, had it been me, I would have just taken one big gulp, and it would have all been gone. But apparently, she was somewhat ladylike. And she was taking small bites and cuts of that particular oyster. And so she stopped eating and began to harvest pearls from this oyster. As she did so, uh, it, the count began to climb. And, and by the time that she was done, she had taken 51 pearls out of a single, a single oyster. Now... It's not uncommon for a pearl to be found in an oyster in a restaurant. They, they tell us that the chances of, of someone finding a pearl within an oyster, it is one in a million times a chance. That, but there are, there are many millions of oysters consumed every day in America. So there's the opportunity for just a, a great number of pearls to be found. But they, they looked at this and said that the fact that she harvested 51 oysters out of this single, 51 pearls out of this single oyster, the numbers of chance are just beyond the pale, beyond the scope of even feasibility that, that she would find 51 pearls in a single, a single oyster. I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the formation of a pearl, if you've ever noticed. But when I came across this story about a month ago, it began to really intrigue me. And it's been on my mind ever, ever since. Because, because the birth of a pearl is nothing but an absolute miracle. The formation of a pearl within the body of that, of that oyster is just its an unfolding process of formation that I find intriguing. Unlike other gems, diamonds, etc., that are that are dug from deep in the earth, and then they are they are with heat and with force, they're shaped and they're formed. The oyster, when it when it's born, it, it's in its finished state when it's born. No, no chipping and no and no and no shaping it. It, it is it is formed there. And it's 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 coming, it's harvested, it's birthed out of out of a live oyster that has, has been dealing with that, that lays beneath the surface of the sea. 
Pearls don't need the same treatment that other jewels need, but rather, rather, rather they come, they come prepared, that they come having already been through the stress of, of preparation that they will face. When, when they arrive, they already have that shimmering, that shimmering iridescence, that luster and that soft glow that's unlike any other gem on the earth. This pearl begins its natural life as a foreign object, such, such as a, a, a parasite or a grain of sand. You see, a pearl's primary purpose in life is, is to lay on the bottom of a body of water, and it opens itself and closes itself on periodically. And one of the main, main duties of the oyster is to help to filter the water in the area around it of, of certain things. And so it will lay there just not looking very smart, not looking very bright, and really to look at it not very nutritious. But, but it will lay there on the bottom and it will, it will open and close and it will open and close itself. And as it does so, uh, it will filter water and then the female at points will release her eggs, and, uh, sometimes up to a million eggs in a lifetime. And the male will release uh, his sperm, and then they will, they will meet there in the water, and, and you will literally, literally find beds of oysters to where that, that these things are germinated, and they lie there. And it takes about a year for the oyster to be ready to be called maybe an adult or in a reproductive stage. But when it, when it arrives there, it begins to open that self and to filter water through it and, and to gather the things that it's, it's decided to gather. Another function of that oyster is to help to, to bring stabilization to the ecosystem and help bring land mass and to hold things. Because if you've ever been out in saltwater areas, you'll see reefs that are, that are nothing but oysters and oyster shells that have, that have gathered for a time. And, they make, and they, they make this natural habitat for other things to, to grow in. But somewhere, sometime during the process of an oyster's life, there's something happens many times, and it might be just a grain of sand. It might be just a piece of larva that, that has settled in there. But it becomes very offensive, very offensive to the oyster, and it begins to irritate the oyster. And as the irritant factor bothers that oyster, within the body of that oyster, it begins to release and secrete a, a smooth, hard, crystalline type substance that is slick and it's smooth and it it begins to cover that irritating factor it may be that a piece of sand fell in there one day and uh, because it irritated the oyster it begins to coat uh, it begins to coat that irritating factor it might have been a living organism that that fell in there and, and the same thing happens this 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 coating factor that that coats and forms um, forms that pearl is called the nacre and and it is something that uh, it just it just happens time and time again it's a constant process within the body of that oyster and as long as as long as that thing is inside of it that irritates it and it causes its pain the oyster continues to produce uh, this substance that covers it, it will cover and it will wrap around to finally the the hard edges of the irritating factor are gone and and finally, the irritating parts are, are gone, but because it's there and it, it's, it's not supposed to be there for the life of that oyster, 
it will continue to, to wrap and to coat uh, that irritating factor. So, so over time, the irritant is completely coated. Over time, it's encased. And, and over time, uh, erupting or coming from the body of that oyster will be a lovely and illustrious uh, gem called, called the pearl. How something so wondrous uh, can emerge from something so ugly, I don't understand. And how something that is so incredibly valuable can emerge from, from the body of something that is so, uh, to look at it, is so un, undesirable. Because, because you realize that this oyster's been through this process of pain. And you understand that it, it's been through this process of, of time, as we heard last Sunday night. And this process has, has coated it over and over and over again. It, it, it's this, it's this coating. It's this, it's this substance in the knackery that, that continues to bless and continues to cover and, and make something that was so undesirable into something that would be desired by, by so many. Some of you may be familiar with cultured marbles, and these are, these are what you may call a domesticated oyster that has an irritant directly injected into it. And so they have a cultured marble, and it works very much like a, very much like a, natural, a natural pearl. But when, when this happens, and this, and, this, and this pearl emerges, this iridescence that, that flows from it, and, and the prisms of light that flow through it and reflect off the pearl make it so so desirable it is this it is this this process that that <clears throat> and the dealing with the irritated and the dealing with the undesirable the dealing with something that wasn't chosen to be there and wasn't really in the plan to be there in that oyster's life uh, it, it is this it is this process that uh, that they find this incredibly valuable and beautiful thing begin to emerge and and so when when this irritant factor gets there and it begins to it begins to chafe under the uh, the oyster shapes under the pressure of it uh, there's something in its nature that releases this nacre that begins to make it beautiful i've come this morning to talk to you about the price of a pearl the price of a pearl because i think that the price of that pearl is as much more expensive than you and i can really really understand. Matthew chapter 13, verse 45, we find the scripture that says, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant, a merchant man who's seeking goodly pearls, whom when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had. And then he, he bought that pearl. This is a familiar story. The Lord stops because he's, he's talking about kingdom. He's talking about things greater than they are. And he's, he's making reference to the value of the kingdom and the splendor and the beauty of the kingdom of God. And he just falls into this natural analogy of an oyster and of a merchant whom, whom he, he found that pearl that was so valuable. The most valuable pearl, it was a pearl of great price. Uh, today, the most valuable pearl in America is, a, is an earring worn by Cleopatra. It was valued today at, at $9 million. And, and then uh, there are many, many pearls that have sold for a $1 million price tag because of their age and because of, because of their, their luster. But I want you this morning to not focus on the pearl for a moment, but... If you would join me for a moment, I want you to imagine yourself an oyster. 
Just, just imagine yourself an oyster in the bottom of a bay, in the bottom of the ocean. Imagine yourself wrapped up in an ugly oyster shell. Imagine yourself uh, being, uh, being an oyster, you know, no skeletal structure. Just being a squishy blob in, in, in the bottom of, of the ocean, the bottom of the bay. And imagine yourself in, in, that, uh, in that place and where life has relegated you to a place in the bottom of the sea, a place where there's not a lot of fanfare. Uh, no, you live in the sea, but you could have been the mighty shark, or you could have been the great whale, or you could have been some other beautiful uh, animal or, or a creation of God that, that we would recognize easily from the bottom of the sea. But no, no, you're not even a shrimp. You're an oyster. You, imagine yourself lying there, do, going about uh, uh, about your, your life, laying there, just being a filter for everybody else's garbage, laying there, just opening and closing and, and laying there, maybe every once in a while, adding a little bit of structure to a formation of land or a formation of a reef, but laying there in the bottom of the sea, just, uh, just, uh, just, just laying there. You may remember the song that you used to sing uh, as a junior high kid on the school bus, there's a hole. There's a hole. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. Well, place yourself in that hole, and the hole is bigger than you are, and you're just that oyster. Your purpose in the ecosystem doesn't even really seem important and doesn't even seem relevant at all because, after all, really, how much filtering can one little oyster really do and how much change can you, you really make? And, and your assistance in the forming of those reefs and those land masses, it seems, it seems like it's probably really unnoticed and underappreciated because, uh, after all, it takes millions just like me just to make the, the most minute of a reef. And so, really, I, I'm insignificant. You... You, my dear oyster friend, have been relegated to the unseen. You've been relegated to the unknown, to the underappreciated, the unappreciated, and the often forgotten. Oh, oh, there, there are some people probably like you, uh, who, who, who like you, uh, but the ones, the few that really do like you, they're, they're the ones that want to eat you. And they're, they're the ones that want to consume you. And beyond that, nobody really likes you and nobody really cares about you. And, and after all, you just lay there in the bottom of, of the ocean. Uh, but you, you may be somewhat appreciated by somebody as they consume you and as, as, you're, as, as, you're trans, as, as, you, as you go down you know, their throat and into their, their stomach. But, but in all reality, you'll never be anybody's trophy. You'll never be anybody's prize. Face it. I've, I've seen a lot of, of trophy things taken from the sea. I've been places and seen very large fish. And I've seen very, very large fish that have been pulled from the water and they're taken to the taxidermist and they're placed on someone's wall with a plaque and, and, and the size and the date it was caught and the name of the person. And maybe if it had some world ranking for size and quality, that would be listed on the plaque. But I promise you, I've never been to a place where I've seen an oyster that's been taken to a taxidermist and I've never seen a plaque to an oyster. I've never, I've never seen a memory to an oyster. I've never, I've never seen, I, I, I don't, I, I tried to find if there was record of the world's largest oyster and I can't even find that there was ever a world's largest oyster. It's just, it's just that probably imagine yourself relegated to that place in, in your life and your purpose being 
being what, what it is. And you, my friend, are, are but a squishy and a spineless and a salty blob of oysterhood that if you're lucky, somebody will not pry you open and look at you and consume you. Then your greatest goal in life, your greatest goal in life is to not be noticed, is to not be dug out, is to not to be broken open and opened and, and exposed and then consumed by the appetites of someone who just wants to use you for the temporary gratification and satisfaction of their own appetites. After all, you are but a nameless and an undesirable oyster. Why don't you imagine yourself there? I want you to, I want you to think about the day that you were going about your life and, and as, as you went about your life, just opening and closing and things flowing through you and just going to work and coming home and, and just going, and just going to, to family events and coming home, just showing up at church and, and then showing up at work and just doing, doing what you had been called to do and designed to do. And, and one day as you opened up yourself and that, and that habitat or, or that community that, that you lived in, it, it might have happened, it might have happened at home or it may have happened uh, within the confines of a relationship, maybe in your marriage, uh, may, maybe on the job, maybe somewhere publicly. Uh, may, it might have happened at church uh, that, that something happened or a grain of something somehow when you were all opened up and exposed, uh, that a grain of something found its way inside that protective, uh, that protective armor of your shell. And then when, when you close that shell, not even realizing that, that, come, that has something had come inside of you and, and inside that safe, cozy place that you call your home or your habitat, that there was, there was a little larva or a little piece of sand that had managed to get in inside there with you. And then when, when the, the lid closes and you get home and the door closes tight and it's locked and, and the lights are out for the night and you lay down or you're, or you're prepared to rest for the evening that when you come to that place when it should be safe and it should be comfortable you begin to feel that little thing that managed to find its way in there and it begins to bring a little irritation and it begins to bring a little pain and so you don't really know what to do about it you wrestle with it for a season and so you decide what I'll do is I'll just take it to the Lord so you begin to pray Say, Lord, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know why I'm, I don't know why that upset me so bad. I don't know why I'm so offended. I don't know why that, I don't know why this is going on in me. I don't, I don't know why that had to happen. I I don't know why that, I don't know why that that person tried to hurt me in the way they did. You begin to pray about it uh, because that irritant part is now in the safe place uh, of of your inner cocoon and and there it's there. So you sought the Lord and you've asked him for, for help. And just as the Lord does, uh, he comes and he begins to he begins to let something flow flow into you. It's kind of like when you're in a time of need and a time of grief, a time of emptiness that you found a place of prayer and you didn't feel any faith, but you prayed. And as you prayed, you felt faith and you felt encouragement and you felt the lift of the spirit because of, because the scripture says that you can build up your own faith by praying in the Holy Ghost. And so so you found that place where where you prayed and you sought the Lord and and He helped you with that thing that that brought 
that irritating thing to your life. And, and as, as, as he prayed, as you prayed and he came and you felt his presence and you felt him just kind of a coat that irritating thing with, with a little bit of mercy and a little grace would carry you through that. And you learned at that point that things happen in life and they irritate me, but, but his grace is sufficient for me. And, and you rejoice that day because uh, you picked up something that irritated, but you took it to the Lord and, and he coated it with grace and, and mercy and a little hope. And the pain was not so bad, but the next day came and you felt it grating again. And, and so you took it to God again. And, and then after you had taken it to him again. Again, you felt that coating of the, of the spirit of the Lord as it secreted a, a little more help, a little more hope and a little more grace into that, to that safe place. And, 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 and as this, this happened, um, uh, you begin to develop some things and that it would, it would, it would hurt, but it wasn't quite as painful. And, and you learned to be more patient with it because there was a time when the Lord, instead of grace that day, he, he brought a coating of patience in there. And, and maybe there's a season that you just felt so hopeless over the situation you were dealing with, but you continued to give it to God. And, and he, he allowed a little, little hope to come in there. And, and before long, uh, he was coating that, that thing that had come inside of you. He had coated that thing with some love and some patience and, and some hope and some mercy and some grace. And, and the time would pass uh, and it would go on and, and you were never really able to get that expelled. You, you would do anything to have that, to have that not inside of you. You would do anything for that to be gone. But sometimes things happen in our life when they wind up being there and, and God chooses not to move them, but rather he chooses to take them and let them be that thing that, that would be that irritant with inside of us that would make us more valuable and would add to our lives and, and add, add to our future and, and, and let us become more valuable and, and better and closer to him than we've ever been before. This, this process of this coding of this irritant, uh, it would eventually, coat uh, the entire thing and, until it, it would become rounded and then it would begin to grow and each each coat it would it would show um, it would show this iridescent glow that everybody would notice and, and as you prayed and sought the Lord over this thing um, you found yourself right in the middle of 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and you found yourself being able to really relate to this that says uh, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and, and I have not charity I and become as a sounding brass uh, or a tinkling cymbal. Please, um, please understand the common, the common, uh, the definition that we place upon that word charity is, is simply love. And verse two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all ministries and I have all knowledge and though I have all faith, so I can move mountains and I don't have love. I, I am nothing. You, you've learned that because, um, because you, you, you've been through this process and there's been this coding that's happened. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, then it profits me nothing. And then the reason you've learned that lesson is because you arrive at some point way back. You, you arrived at verse number four and you learn that love is long suffering. It suffers long. And we, we think, Lord, I would love to be long suffering, but to be long suffering means you've suffered for a long time. You can't be long suffering without having suffered for a season of life for a long, for a long, long time. Love suffers long. Love is kind and love doesn't envy and love never 
puffs itself up or vaunts itself. And love, love doesn't press itself. And verse five, um, love doesn't behave itself in an unseemly way. Love doesn't seek her own. She's not demanding. Love is not easily provoked. She doesn't have a quick temper. She's got some patience and she's got some grace in her life. And love doesn't even think evil thoughts about people. But uh, that love as it's grown and, and it's, it's, it, that thing has been in your life. It, it wasn't, you weren't in chapter four, 13 and verse number four when this all started. That, that's, that's after the process has been going on for a while. Because when the irritant first got there, it irritated you and you acted irritated. And it bothered you and you acted bothered. And it, it made you upset and you acted upset. But because of continuing uh, touching of the Spirit of God in your life and help of God in your life, uh, that there was this coding that took place and now you understand some things. And, and now, now you can deal with these things a little better. And so when you hear someone else's failure, it might even be the one that caused the pain in your life. Uh, might have caused the irritant in your life. Uh, now love doesn't rejoice in their failures or their iniquities. Uh, but love delights itself and love rejoices in the truth. And then, and then you find that place where you've really had to be there a long time when you really understand that verse 7 can apply to your life. And that is love can bear all things and love can believe all things and, and love can have hope in all things and love can get me through all of these things. And you've come to this place where you realize that verse number 8, that love never fails. And when that thing came into your life and it was irritant and it was a bothersome thing and God began to help you learn how to navigate and deal with that issue and he began to coat that thing to move, move the pain and, and to deal with the pain. He, he began to cover it with his mercy and his grace and his love. Uh, you've learned some things now and, and then, then, then around, then you find that, uh, that with that love and, and that grace and that patience uh, now that love that's been, been wrapped around you and secreted around you. Uh, this formation that's taking place in your life. Uh, I want you to understand the word formation because formation is an incredible word. Formation is what takes place in the womb of a mother when that, when that, when that child uh, begins its very first uh, moments of, of, of life. It's before we can even know that, that, that there's a sign of life, but, but there is that, that, little, that little sign of life that, that has ignited uh, and, and life has been formed and the mama doesn't know it's there yet and, and there's nobody that knows it's going on, but God knows. And, and when those few cells come together and, and they begin to, they begin to form a child and they begin to form a baby and that formation is what takes place. And then, then with a little time, we, we, we get signal that, and we get message that, that this is going on. But, but in early stages of formation, we don't realize it's there, but it's just as important. Formation is important when you can't see it. And formation is, is important when, when, when you don't, when you don't really know it's going on. You've got to realize uh, some of the things that everybody doesn't see in your life uh, is the most important things that's going on. I would say keep praying. I would say keep fasting. I would say keep being faithful. That's where formation takes place. That's where formation takes place. Uh, I've got a friend who's building a new church, and, and I was visiting with him this week, and, and, and the discussions, uh, they're going to spend two, two and a half to three million dollars uh, on, on their entire church building and their land and everything. Uh, but the first million dollars is going to getting the land right. Uh, they've got to push dirt around, and they, they've got to do this over here and do that over there. And one third of their budget is going towards getting the land right. Uh, it's going to be things you really can't see 
see, but it's that formation process because they've got to get ready and they've got to get the foundation right. And they've got to get that thing that's going to hold it all together over time. And what you see is not going to cost nearly, nearly as much as, as what you don't see. But it's the things that you don't see that's going to add value and longevity to that building that will be there for more than a lifetime. You see, formation to me is absolutely important. And some of you have been through things in your life and you've wondered why you had to walk this path. But really what was going on is God was still working for you and working with you and working on you. And he was still forming you and fashioning you. And he wasn't, he wasn't done with you yet. I think it's almost a cop out sometimes when I hear good folks say, well, I'm not perfect, but, but God's still working on me. And I, I think I appreciate what they're saying. And some Sometimes uh, we've used that as a cop-out to do for ourselves what we ought to be doing for ourselves, like self-control and, and, and moderation in life. And, but, but in all reality, the fact is, is, is God's not done with any of us yet. And he's still working on us. And he's still forming us. And he's got plans in our life. And, and, he, and even when you get to your aged years, he's not done with you yet. Because I've seen 80-year-olds that, that could pray the prayer of faith, that God could give a word of prophecy, that God could give a word of wisdom. And they may not be strong, but they're able to operate. And they're not useless. And there's formation that's still taking place inside inside of these people. And formation is, is absolutely, absolutely one of the most important, important things, I think, that you can have, have in your life. You see, I, I want you to, is it any wonder, is it any wonder then that in this process of, of forming where nobody else can see what's going on in you and, and nobody else can see the pains you've been through and nobody else can know what's lodged in there and, and nobody else can know the work of the miraculous uh, that has taken place on the inside. And when they meet you, they shake hands. Uh, it's just a casual acquaintance. Uh, but if they'll well, hang around a little bit uh, and get to know you a little better and you ever felt like they, if they really knew me, then they wouldn't think these things about me. But if someone would just hang around for a few moments, uh, they discover that deep down, deep down in the core and uh, the fiber of your, of your being, uh, there's value and there's, there's a miraculous formation that, that's taken place. And, and there's a miracle on the inside of you that they can't begin to even understand uh, and they can't begin to really, really fathom. Uh, but, but it's there and one day they will be able to see it. Is it, is it any wonder then that someday... Uh, Somebody one day said, uh, I want what you've got. I'd like to have what you've got. Is it any wonder that one day a searcher came by searching and, and found, uh, found that valuable thing that had been formed in you? And, and, and maybe, maybe there was an anointing in your life and, and somebody said, I, I, I want to sing like that or, or I want to teach like that or I want to, I want to, I want to be what I see in that, in that person's life. Uh, all that they see when they see you publicly is they see the finished product. They see the late product. They see the beautiful product. They see a pearl that's been formed in you. But what they can't see is those years of prayer. And what they can't see is those years of tears. And what they can't see is the years of pain. And what they can't see is, is you being faithful when there was no reason to be faithful. And you hanging in there when you didn't feel like hanging in there. But this process was taking place. And formation 
Salvation was going on inside of your life. And, and somebody comes and says, uh, I want that pearl. Uh, it looks valuable. It looks like something I would like to have. Uh, the man who had dedicated his life uh, to finding that perfect pearl in our reading. He found that pearl of great price uh, when we read from the scripture a moment ago. And when he found that priceless uh, formation, he said, uh, I, I, I've got to have uh, what you've got. Uh, I've got to have it. Uh, I, want, I want your pearl. Uh, I, I, want, I, want, I want your beauty. I, I want your bearing. I want your anointing. I want your virtue. I, I want your integrity. I want your reputation. I want your peace, your poise, or your faith that you've got. I want that. But you've got to realize, sir, if you want this pearl that I have in my life, if you want what God's done in my life, if you want what God's done in the life of that, that seemingly undesirable and, and imperfect and not very pretty oyster. If you want the value that's formed inside that, it's not going to be cheap and it's not going to be free, but it's going to cost you something because you don't get to the air, to the stage of being a beautiful pearl and a gem that's desirable to everybody else before, unless you've been through this process, this process of pain and this process of hurting. Sir, you can have this, but it's going to cost you. You don't really want what I've got because the price is probably just too much. When you look back over your life and you realize the pain that you've been through, you realize the path that you've taken. You understand the places you've been and the things that are down there. And somebody sees you in your moment of blessing and they, they want that. They, they want that. Everybody would like to have own Apple computer today. and Everybody would like to have a piece of that pie. But nobody really wants what went on in a garage about 30 years ago when they were just, they were just band-aiding parts together it was an embarrassing little motley crew of, 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 of dope-smoking hippies that created this computer that really formed down the future. But what happened was something beautiful and something impressive came out of it. And everybody today wants to carry some of that around. I say most everybody. There's folks here that, that, that just think that that's a sin. But, but I, I'll just pray for you, you non-Apple folk. But, but, uh, but, but that process is, 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 is there was formation that was taking place. And, and it was a beautiful thing. But, sir. If you're going to have what, I'm, what I've got, if you're going to have this pearl that's in my life, uh, you don't want to go through the pain that I've been through. and You don't want to pass the journey that I've been through. And in your maturity, as you've matured and you've raised your children and your life is coming together and you see kids doing the same dumb things that you did when you were a kid, you'll take those children and you'll discipline them and you'll spank them and you'll say things like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And then you'll say things like, uh, I really don't want to do this, uh, but I don't want you to go the same path that I pass. And I want you to feel the same pain that I feel. Let me tell you something. If your children are ever going to be a jewel, if your children are ever going to be the pearl of great price, they're going to have to go through the same formation process that you went through. Shape them and form them. But understand, there'll be times they have to walk through that pressure. There'll be times they have to walk through that conflict. And all you can do as a parent is step back and say, I know where you're at. I'm praying for you, Bubba. I'm praying for you sissy hang in there and be strong but to be that jewel to be that pearl of great price to be that valuable pearl you're going to have to walk through that same path but sir if you want this value I've got you're going to have to have this same pain you don't just get it free you don't get it cheap you don't want to go through the 
form of the, of, of the process of formation that I've, got, that I've gone through. It was the seven sons of Sceva that day who saw what Paul was doing in Ephesus. They saw him casting out devils. They saw him working miracles. And the seven sons of Sceva that day in Acts chapter 19 verse 15, they decided we want what Paul's got. We're not filled with the Holy Ghost. We've not dedicated our life. We haven't been shipwrecked. We haven't been through the things that he's been through. But we want what he's got in his life. And those seven sons of Sceva, they walked up to this fellow that looked like he was full of the devil. It's amazing. You can just about tell if somebody's full of the devil. And they decided, all seven of us, uh, we're going to cast the devil out of this fellow. And they, they just pronounced a, a big fancy prayer. They, they just said, uh, they said, uh, uh, you come out of him, devil, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Paul, as Paul has done. And when he did that, uh, the, the devil began to speak to them. In verse 15, that evil spirit uh, spoke out of that man and said these words in chapter 19, verse 15 of Acts. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? The devil recognized there was somebody trying to operate in the realm. Somebody was trying to grab a jewel that they hadn't been through the process for it. They hadn't felt the pain for it. They hadn't been on their knees for it. They hadn't walked through that process. And so verse 16, the man in whom the spirit was in, he leaped on them. He overcame them. He prevailed against them so that the sons of Sceva, they fled out of that house naked and wounded. These boys thought that we'll just grab the pearl. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just go down to the discount counter and try to grab the pearl and we'll cast the devil out of this fellow. But the devil said, no, I don't know you. I know, I know Paul. I know Jesus, but you hadn't been through this process yet. And so he began to beat them. He tore their clothes off. They ran from him. They ran from him naked. They ran from him exposed. They ran from him bloody and beaten and they ran from him that day. I'm just here today to say, my friend, if you were ever going to be involved in kingdom work, if you're going to be a singer, you're going to be a teacher, if you're going to be somebody who vacuums the floors or whatever process or wherever you find yourself in the kingdom, don't do it without anointing and don't do it without forming and don't try to usurp and act like there's something in your life that's not there, but rather allow the process of God to squeeze you and break you and wrap you and coach you in grace and mercy and love and let that thing be let that thing be formed in you. Let that pearl be formed in you. If you want anointing in your life, hear me this morning. If you want anointing, you're going to have to pay the price. If, if there's not a discount counter. There's not a Walmart. There's not a place you can go online, www.cheappearls.com. You can't go to that place and find the kind of pearls that you see around the kingdom of God. You can't go to that place and find, find those kind of things. But rather, rather you, you, can't go, you can't go down to the mall and, and find the good buy one, get one special going on because... You really don't want to buy one and get one too because to really get two at a time, there's a process it's going to take. It's going to be twice as long. It's going to be twice as hard because it takes the same amount of process and the same time to form every single pearl that's formed. And so you, you find this, sir, you want this pearl of great price. You want this thing that's been formed in me that it's going to cost you. What's it going to cost me? Because I'll go and I'll, I'll raise the money. It says it's going to cost you everything that you've got. So that merchant in Matthew that we read from, that merchant, he, he left that place where he'd found that pearl of great price. And the Bible says that he went back home. He went home and he began to sell everything. Ananias and Sapphira, they decided one day they wanted a piece of the pearl. They wanted a piece of the jewel. They wanted it at a discounted rate. 
So there was a spirit moving in the church at that time. It was not a doctrine. It was something that was required. It was simply a spirit that had come up on the church. And they were trying to evangelize and have revival. And people began to sell, begin to sell their things. And begin to, they would sell property and they would bring it, they would bring it, to, they would bring it to the disciples. The, Peter being the head of those disciples. They'd present it to the, to the disciples at, at the church. And, and that they, they would be, it was great sacrifice. And there was great revival. And there's a lot of things that were going on. And Ananias and Sapphira, they evaluated what was going on. And they saw the blessings from the sacrifice. And they saw the piece of land they had. So they Decided. What we'll do is, is they conspired. What we'll do is let's sell the land and, and we'll, we'll take most of the money and we'll give, we'll give most of the money uh, to the church, but we'll, we'll hold back a portion. There was, there was no mandate they had to do, they had to sell anything. There was no mandate they had to give a penny in this particular offering. But they wanted, they wanted, that, they wanted what the other people had and they wanted that pearl. They wanted part of that thing that was happening in their lives to be a part of that. And so they went back and acted like like that they had sold the land and they were giving it all to the kingdom. And you know both Ananias and Sapphira there the next few days, the next few moments, they died right there, right there in the story. But please understand something. The reason the reason that they did that is the reason they died was, was not because they didn't give everything. The reason was because they held back something. And if you want the pearl of great price, and you want a move of God in your life, and you want the blessings of God in your family, then understand something. You must be willing to release the hold back. You can't hold back nothing. I'm not saying sell what you got and give everything you've got to the church. That's not what I'm saying. But you better not be a hold out on Jesus. You better not hold back. If I needed, if I needed my kids to be saved, I wouldn't miss a service. I wouldn't miss a prayer meeting. I would be faithful. I would seek the face of God. My voice would echo around the house. I would be the noisiest worshiper. I'd be the noisiest prayer because I need this in my life. And you see, when you begin to have a hold back in your life, this is when things happen that happen like Ananias and Sapphira. You'll never get the pearl of great price if you have any kind of hold back in your life. I just want this. I want to hold back spirit to be rebuked this morning. Uh, It's it's pretty much a church family here today and and a large portion of them are not here this morning. But please, please understand something. The last thing a church needs is a hold back spirit. The last thing a church needs is to be overcautious. The last thing a church needs is to be non-trusting. The last church, the thing the church needs is is to have a hold back spirit and not want to move forward into the things of God. Rather, I challenge you, give whatever thing you've got them. If, 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 if give it everything you've got, give it everything you've got. Jesus said it this way. If someone asks for your coat, give him your cloak also. In other words, he asked for your coat, give him your vest too. Give him both layers. Don't hold anything back. I challenge you. We need to pray more than we ever prayed before. We need to fast more than we've pray, fasted before. We need to worship harder and louder than we've ever prayed before. There ought not to be a quiet service. There not, ought not to be a stiff service. There not, ought not to be a, a tame service service, but there ought to be a freedom and a liberty here because we decided we're going to go to the house of God and we're not holding back. We're going to the presence of God and we're not holding back. We're throwing away our hold back. We're getting rid of our hold back. We're tossing it. We're disposing of our hold back today. Amen.
Amen. You want this. You want this great pearl, then you got to get rid of your hold back. Uh, Paul, writing to Timothy, he referenced another one of his young protégés that he was working with in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 10. His name was Demas. And he says this word. He said these words. Demas has forsaken me, having not loved uh, this present world. This is just a, this is a reference to a, a young man that was in the process of being used, and the process of, uh, of being formed, and the pressures were a little bit too much. And, Demas decided to, to, to go back and he decided he loved the world where he'd come from and Demas had forsaken me having loved this this present world. I'm preaching today to somebody who might have had a little bit of a hold back in your life. You, you might have not totally surrendered things to God but let me challenge you this morning. It's time to throw away the hold back. It's time to get away with the surrender. It's time to determine I'm going to live for God. I'm going to work for God. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to let him have his will in my life. I challenge you to get rid of, of, of the of the hold back. And I'm preaching also to somebody this morning that might have a moment, might have had a place in your life where you forsook the things of God. You step back and said, no, I'm not going that far. No, I'd rather do this. No, I'm not making that commitment. No, I'm not going there. I challenge you in the Holy Ghost today. Don't love this world. Don't forsake the things of God. Don't forsake the walk with God. But I challenge you in the Holy Ghost. Move forward forward in the kingdom and don't don't go back to where you came from Matthew chapter 13 was what we read from a few moments ago Matthew 13 verse number 45 again the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man who sought goodly pearls whom when he had found one pearl of great price he went and sold all that he had and he bought it let me just tell you something this story is really not about the pearl and this, this lesson this morning is really not about the pearl. It's really about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like the pearl. It doesn't say the pearl is like the kingdom. But the kingdom is like the pearl. There's great value in that pearl. You've got to be willing to, to do whatever it takes to get that pearl. But, the, but the, it's not about the pearl. It's about the kingdom. You see, Matthew chapter 6, 33 explains the same principle this way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, sometimes, or more than sometimes, far too often, we find people whom they want the pearl and they want the kingdom, but they don't want the formation. And they're, they're, willing, to, they're willing to seek after the pearl, but they're not willing to set and be forgotten about in the hole in the bottom of the sea and that formation take place in your life. You see, if you seek the kingdom, you'll have the pearl. But if you just seek after the pearl, you may or may not ever really find the kingdom. But I promise you, you seek and you pursue and you chase the kingdom of God. You'll have more things in your life than you ever dreamed about. You live for him without reservation. You live with him. You, you can have more stuff. You can make less money than anybody in your whole family. And you'll have more stuff in your life making less money. It's because when you sought the kingdom, God gave you the stuff. 
And I've seen the people seek the stuff, and they get the stuff. Uh, they, they get the stuff, but I've seen people with all the stuff. They not have the kingdom, and it's heartbreaking thinking they got more stuff they know what to do with, but they don't have the kingdom. If they'd have got the kingdom, they'd have got the stuff, and they'd have had the kingdom and the stuff. They'd have had the pearl, and they'd have had the rewards of their, of their life. It's not about the pearl. It's about the kingdom. It was that merchant man when he discovered what the price was going to be that he went and sold all that he had and came back and he bought. You see, to really gain the pearl, you got to be willing to sell out. You got to be willing to sell out. The kingdom becomes more important than anything. The kingdom becomes more important than habits and hobbies. It becomes more important than, than any sort of social things that you can do. It was Mary who wept at the feet of Jesus. And she got great criticism. She had great criticism that day when she wept at his feet. And she broke that alabaster box and poured that oil on his, on his feet. And she anointed him for his burial. And there was a discussion that took place. The songwriter captured the whole value of, the, of, of that scene with that one line. When, when he wrote those words, you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. You really don't know the cost that that really cost me to have this. And I see people who look so blessed today in life. And I see people wish, I wish, well, they're just rich. They could just do that. Or that this is just the way that, no, it hasn't always been that way. But there was a process when it was painful and it was hurting. And God formed and crystallized around that irritating factor of their life. And he began to coat it. And bless their life. And we don't really know what people, the price people paid. You see, I can see that merchant arriving back at that place where that pearl was hidden away. Saying, I'm prepared to pay the price of your pearl. In other words, I'm going to buy that pearl, whatever the cost. You now got to have determination in our spirit that whatever the cost, we're going to seek the kingdom. I want to show you a true story. We're awfully quiet here. But I've got a, a group of pastor friends that we've known each other. Several of them are 20 years older than I am. But um, several of them are several years younger. But it's, it's a group that we've, we've kind of formed just as, as a friend's. And every Christmas the last few years, we've been getting together. We'll, we'll meet at somebody's house, and, and we'll bring a little present, and usually they're worthless. We want to bring some little gag or some sort. And the girls, they bring sweet stuff. You know, they bring hand lotions and junk. And, I mean, you don't know. Uh, you're apt to find a roll of toilet paper at, at the guy's thing, and, and uh, somebody stuffed a $10 bill up on a roll of toilet paper. But you've got to find the value. This last year at the Christmas party, I won myself a flying monkey. And basically, you, it's got a rubber band on it, a little monkey. You hold the monkey like this, you pull him back, and, and you shoot him off across the room. And while he's flying with his little cape, uh, he's whistling because he's got some little whistle in him, but the air makes him fly. I mean, just absolutely useless. And a bunch of, you know, 50-, 60-year-old men sitting around the living room of a, of a nice house shooting a flying monkey around the room. You're getting the picture. It's, 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 pretty, it's, it's pretty funny. But we, we formed some relationships over time, and this year we met at, at a, a pastor's house. And 
it was by design we went there because the Lord had just given him this new house and, and we were there and he began to take us from room to room and he showed us a house with seven bedrooms, a bathroom in every bedroom. He showed us this phenomenal place, just un, unbelievable. Pool out back, just, just uh, unbelievable, unbelievable house. And, and that evening later, it was just he and I, I said, hey, there's got to be a miracle here. Tell me about it. He said, okay. So he began to tell me that wasn't too far back, just a few years ago, he, he met a man that come to a service and visited the service, and the man was hungry, so his life was messed up. So this pastor friend, he began to teach him a Bible study. He taught him a Bible study, taught his family a Bible study, and it wasn't but just a short time. The man and his family got the Holy Ghost. They started living for God, and, and it turned out the man was very, very, very wealthy. And um, it, it, the man began to, to buy into some things of stewardship, and so he began to, to pay his tithes uh, to the church. And, and, and his tithe just so happened was $25,000 per month. You just wrap your head around that. But he, he paid $25,000 a month tithe. And, and uh, he, that, that, that brought the church to a place where they struggled for many years, an old building. And, and they were able to, to go and they have a new church building now. And, and their budget is so strong and secure because uh, of, this, of this blessing that came to the church and this one family's this tithe. And then... And then then um, when they got in the new building, the man came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I'm really, really concerned about our church and this debt that we're having to carry, so I'm going to continue to pay my tithe. But will it be okay if I bring a $30,000 check from my company every month and you make a principal payment on the mortgage of the building? Man, right now I'm saying hold my mule, church, because it was, it was so, so incredible. So this, this, began, this began to happen, and now at man, now one man ties 25000 and gives a $30,000 offering to his church against the church note every month. And then he was, he was there one day, and the Lord had blessed his family with a, a house, and, and they were visiting, and this business guy, this new convert says, Pastor, you need a house like mine. And the pastor said, oh, no, I don't need a house like yours. You got 12 bedrooms. You got a bathroom in every bedroom. I mean, I mean, you got five car garages. You got all this. I don't need all of this. And he says, uh, you, 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 need, you need a better house than this. He said, no, no, I don't. I got plenty. I believe in this house. I just got it paid for. I've been making payments 30 years. And I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. He said, no, here's what we're going to do. He says, I'm going to go pick you out a house. So he went and picked him out this house that we, that we visited in, seven bedrooms three-car garage, swimming pool. Everything's nice and new. It's, it's at least a seven or $800,000 house. It's unbelievable home, just unbelievable in, in North Dallas area. And so, um, so uh, he, he, he was showing me his house, and he said, uh, what the deal was, I had to sell my house and put my money of my house on this house. And he told me, you just sell your house, and you buy the house with your, with your money for a down payment, and I'll pay the house off for you. So sure enough, they went to closing, and he put his money down, and, and he walked away from there, having moved out of a little small $200,000 house into a nearly a million-dollar house, and it, it was paid for. But not only was it paid for, they left the furniture. I mean, they left the pool table. 
They left the dining table. They left the bed. They left the curtains. They left the linens. They left, they left everything, and everything was custom made. And, and it was just, we just walk it in this place. And, and, and there's things there that, you know, we've had curtains made for one window before, and I had to just go about and, and, and you know, you, you just, go to, just go to Walmart and buy curtains, and that's, that's your grocery money for the week. You know what I'm talking about? To have things custom made in this big house. I was just, I was so impressed with all of that. And, 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 and then he says, you know, and the other day he, he talked to me. He said, look, he says, uh, Pastor, you're in your 70s. How's your retirement doing? I said, well, I, I'm not doing too good on that. He says, well, you don't worry about it, Pastor. You're my pastor. When you get ready to retire, you've got a job. He says, because just the day you retire from the church, you're going to be the chaplain of my company. You're going to have an office. You're going to have a salary. You're going to have full benefits. You don't have to come to work the first day. I'm just going to take care of you all of your life, Pastor. He says this. He says, uh, he said, I want you to know, he says, you saved my life. You saved my family's life. You saved my business. You saved all of this with the gospel, Pastor. And the least I can do is, is save your life and help you. And I, I, I was just rejoicing, ecstatic over this story. Now, I'm not at all telling you this story to make you feel sorry for me in any way. But if, it's, if it so moves on you. I am unashamed, okay? I got over my pride a long time ago. But I saw that my friend a couple of weeks ago at the district conference, and I came in and sat down in the third pew from the front, and he was sitting right behind me. I said, hey, bro, how you doing? And I turned around. It's been three or four months since I've seen him. I said, I am still rejoicing over your house, and I'm still just marveling. I'm still just marveling over the miracle that, that you've got. He says, hang on, let me tell you one more thing. He says, Sunday, I went to church. I went to church Sunday. He says, and I got a tithe envelope that had a $115,000 check in the envelope. And I was stunned. And I, the Lord, I'd, I'd already been working towards this thought and sharing, sharing this thought with this church down the road. When it was, I was so stunned. I said, Brother Stanley, I'm rejoicing with you, but I don't want to even know the hell you had to go through in 40 years of pastoring that church that brought you to this place of blessing. Because when you see a great gem, when you see a great blessing, I promise you, behind the scenes somewhere in all the formation, there's been some sacrifice and there's been some pain, and there's been some helpless and hopeless seasons of life. So, brother, I said, I don't even want to know. I'm rejoicing with you, but don't tell me what that costs. It's like that little lady that broke that alabaster box. You don't know the cost of this blessing that's in my life. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the price of that pearl. Because the way you get that great pearl is to sell out and to not hold back. You sell out. You don't hold back. And sometimes we, we don't want to sell out. And we sure want to hold back sometimes in our life and our commitments. But I'm challenging you in the Holy Ghost. Sell out. 
discard of every hold back that you've got. There's some people got some, some talent in your life, but you've got a hold back in your life, and you're not totally committed that to God. I'm challenging you. Don't worry about your time, and don't worry about your schedule, and don't worry about how you're going to do it, how it's going to work out. You sell out and get rid of the hold back, and God will take care of the rest of it. Amen. Get rid of the holdbacks and get rid of the holdouts. It's 1131. Will you stand with me? Miss Tony Elliott, back in Jackson, Tennessee, in April 6th of last month, could not have known that what was happening in her next few moments was an absolute miracle. I've been unable to find out what the estimated value of those 51 pearls that she found in that oyster art, I am certain they are significant. And she was allowed to take them home. She'd bought the oysters, and so they were her pearls, and she took them home. She'd paid the price for an oyster, and she left with 51 pearls. And this God of ours paid a price for you, and you weren't very valuable. But look what he left with when he got you filled with the Holy Ghost. Look what he's done in your life. Look at the gem that he's creating in your life. This lady had no idea. Terry had no clue what was going on when she found those 51 pearls that day. Sure, the oyster died in the process. But she really couldn't understand sitting her at the table in that restaurant the formation that had taken place because just one oyster, just one, just one pearl takes years to form. And so when she found 51 pearls in that oyster, that oyster had been through hell. We don't know if there were 51 different incidents in the life of that oyster that 51 different times something came in and brought pain. We don't know if there was 51 little pains that happened in the life of that oyster. Nor do we know if there was a day when there was one large, heavy pain when 51 things entered into the safety zone of that oyster shell. We don't know if it was one incident or 51 incidents. But we know whether, whether it was one or 51 there were literally scores and scores, even hundreds of years of process inside that oyster. So when 51 pearls were found, when that pearl, that, that oyster was so much that it formed in it was found, you realize that wasn't easy to get there. And you know what, church? I've come with a word of faith and encouragement for somebody. Don't be weary in well-doing. I've come to build up your faith. Don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season, in due season, you'll reap if you'll faint not. You're going to come out of that shell. And the oyster that you are, it's going to be opened up. And one of these days, the value that's hidden inside of you is going to be revealed. And it's going to be an iridescent light. And when the light of the Spirit really begins to reflect in your life, you're going to realize, oh, what a miracle my life is. You think, oh, my life's not much now. 
that God's forming in your life. If you're in your 20s, you're not, if you're not arrived where you want to get yet, that's fine. Just keep being faithful. You can be in your 50s, and you still had not arrived at that place where the great pearl has emerged in your life. But just keep on, and don't give up. I'm thinking of Opal King. Opal King walked in this church one day. She was 75 years old. 25 years ago, 24 years ago, she would have been 76. She walked into this church. The only service we ever started a church service without a musician. Opal King at 76, she walked into the service. She couldn't hear. She couldn't play the piano when she was young. She didn't get any better when she was old. But she knew a few chords. And while we were praying that night, a little humble handful of people in the storefront building, all of a sudden, a tornado took off on our little painted-on piano. And I whirled and looked, and this little white-headed 76-year-old lady was over there banging on, the, banging on the piano. Can I tell you, it was the most awful miracle I ever experienced. It was awful. It was awful. Then she got a guitar in that little room, and she wanted to play that guitar. And she couldn't hear, so she had to turn it up loud. And one day, somebody broke in her car and stole her guitar, stole her amplifier. She wanted to buy another one, but I said, oh, no, Sister King, you don't need to do that. And the Lord answered my prayer by removing that from the church. It was awful. One of the most awful miracles I could have experienced because there was something going on in her life that she became a pearl around this place. Now she's 100 years of age, has to live with her children. But I went to a 100-year-old birthday party back a few weeks ago. And when I saw her, I couldn't help but weep and cry. Because I remember what God had done in this place was something that didn't look like it could really provide all that it provided. But that little lady, that little lady brought life and victory and hope and faith to the room when she arrived. Her name was Opal. It wasn't Pearl. But I promise you, the heat that formed that opal was just as hot and just as bad as the process that formed the pearl that I've talked about in your life. What people don't realize is Sister Keene had five husbands. One, when she was young, traded her in, and four of them passed away. She had one son, and that son died an early death. And when she was about 70 years of age, she lived her life. She was pitiless. Her husband died, and God gave her a man with a little bit of money. In the close of her life, God says, I'll take care of your finances. That man lived five years, and when she was 75, he died. Sister Opal was one for love. Sister Keene was a lover. And God gave her Chap Keene here in town. He had children. And at the last few years of her life, he gave her enough money to take her through the rest of her life. And then he gave her children to take care of her in her old age. And you look at the little lady now and think, oh, it's so beautiful. What a beautiful story. But you weren't there when husband number one put her on the horse and buggy and took her back to her mama's house. Husband number two, three, four, and five all died, and she went to the graveyard with them. But, oh, what a jewel.